the been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Hello, everyone, and welcome to I'll Be Right Back, the RSL podcast, where we don't talk about current affairs in the field, only everything else. I'm your host, Tony Beltran, and I'm very, very, very excited about today's episode. Today is the debut for the RSL Book Club. If you haven't heard, we were planning on doing a book a month for the rest of the season. This was supposed to be May's book, but uh, things got a little away from us with the congested schedule there in May. So we're doing, we're running a little late, but that's okay. And the book today we're discussing is I, Robot by Isaac Isamoff. And with me for this inaugural journey, to my right is Mr. Grip It and Rip It himself, Ryan Cotter. Hello, glad to be back on the podcast. <laughs> and on the other side of the room, we have the fastest man at RSL, Mr. Jay Glad. What's going on, Tone? I appreciate the new nickname. Of course. <laughs> I found that out today that you have the fastest recorded time uh, out of anyone at the club. That's very impressive. Congratulations. Uh, appreciate it Thank not you. surprising i'm right i'm a little surprised yeah i've seen a lot of it oh they must have not had the trackers on a lot true of it. that's a lot of it never this, wore the this trackers technology did not exist yes. in a lot current of regime current, current regime, regime. Exactly. Exactly. two years there we go um and rounding out the group the pride of rochester mr joran allen yeah we were talking about this a little bit earlier i don't know if i can really handle that nickname uh abby wambach's been the pride of rochester for about two decades now so maybe one day i can catch up to her but it's not seeming likely. At this not point. today. We're <laughs> almost there. We can change the nickname. Yeah, it depends on how well this podcast goes. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this they could the be the day. This is the beginning of becoming the pride. If she's the pride, yeah, then you can be like, I don't know. Yeah, Rochester. what's crazy? She went Sweetheart to my rival Rochester. high school too, and I guess like tore it up against us all no the time. No way. So. All right. All right. Um, well, we are here. Thank gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. And like I said, we're here to discuss "I Robot" by Isaac Isimov. Uh, before we get into the book, let's talk a little bit about Mr. Isimov himself. So, if you guys didn't know, uh, he was born in 1920 and uh, died in 1992. He was an American writer and professor of biochemistry at Boston University. Um, just real quick, Justin, where do you think that name originates from, Isimov? What country of origin? Hmm. Based on my extensive background knowledge, Tone, I would say... Out of the 10 <laughs> countries that you know. Out of the 10 <laughs> countries that I know... Say it one more time. Uh, Isimov. Uh, Spelled A S I M O V. I don't know. I'm not gonna get it. So I'm gonna just say Russian. That's it. That is correct. Wow. Well done, Jay Glad. Ten points. I am a genius. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mr. Isimov was born in Russia. Immigrated with his family to America when he was three years old, settling in Brooklyn. He wrote hard science fiction, which is a type of science fiction characterized by scientific accuracy, which I think after reading this book, we can all agree that that's one of the most exciting things about this book is the, uh, it's, it all seems very plausible. Um, he graduated high school at 15, originally a zoology major, but switched to biochemistry after refusing to dissect an alley cat. Originally rejected by medical, medical school twice, eventually earning his master's in chemistry and doctorate of philosophy in biochemistry from Columbia University. Not too shabby. And then after that, he taught at Boston University for nine years, and during this time, he began to write compulsively, which led him to stepping down from his teaching position and writing full-time. So that's quite the pedigree. Yeah. Um, 
I'm definitely a man to admire and a man of, uh, of science, that's for sure. So iRobot was published in 1950, but what's interesting about this book, it's a collection of nine stories linked together by the robo-psychologist Dr. Calvin, that's kind of the main figurehead of the story, as told from the perspective of a journalist who's interviewing her. But Isomoff wrote this book, not all at once, these nine stories, but he wrote the first one, I think, at age 23, and um, I'm not sure what year that was, but this was published in 1950. So that was over the course of uh, well over a decade he wrote these nine stories, but yet, cohesively, they all run together. Very impressive. Um, okay, well, let's get started. Let's talk about the book. So, Mr. Allen, in 60 seconds, give uh, the listeners out there, for anyone who maybe hasn't read this book, give them the 60-second Jordan Allen synopsis Tell of iRobot. I, I had the 60 seconds ready to go. And then you just cut into about 45 seconds of what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, uh, I'll give it my best oh, go around uh, now. Um, so like Tony was saying, um, it's nine stories told um, in the form of an interview with Dr. Susan Kelvin. And uh, you get to see the development of robots over the course of it's about over 100 years, maybe even more. The first book is... Uh 1998, I think, in the last one. Yeah, about 100 years. About 100 years. So you get to see um, these robots from their, I wouldn't say primitive state, but uh, being just kind of like household tools. Um, the first story talks about um, a family who um, the daughter is obsessed with this robot. Um, it's like its favorite companion. Um, and that's like the function of the robot at that point in time. It's like a nursemaid at yeah. that point. Yeah. Um, fast forward 100 years. And these robots are indistinguishable from humans, really. Mm -hmm. And throughout the course of that 100 years, um, we get a bunch of different stories, um, which mostly deal with the three ro laws of robotics mm -hmm. um, and how they shaped um, the progression of robots. So um, since Iceman's not here today, uh, <laughs> being Aaron Herrera, I guess I'll, uh, should I read out these three laws? Yeah, um, go ahead. Real quick before you do that, I should say the group was supposed to be rounded out. And Jordan, that was a, a very, that was a sublime well done. Well uh, done. synopsis. Thank you so yeah. much. Shaking my boots. <laughs> you, hit, you hit that one out of the park. The group was, we were supposed to have a fifth today. Uh, Mr. Brooks Lennon also read this book with us. Did he? But uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's true. We're not, it. we're not <laughs> quite sure. Also owns a copy of this book. <laughs> yeah. That's a better way to say it. But uh, we have two days off this weekend, and so he had to dash out to make a wedding in his hometown of Phoenix. So, uh, you know, Brooks, we're not mad. We're just disappointed. Just disappointed. Yeah, it's okay, buddy. We hope you have fun at the wedding. And Mr. Aaron Herrera, Iceman, was supposed to sub in but he has an obligation at 2 o'clock, so hence the four of us. But yes, let's get back. So the three laws of robotics, which um, is kind of the base uh, that all these stories revolve around. Jordan, let's hear them. Okay, so uh, law number one is a robot may not injure a human being or through an action allow a human being to come into harm. Uh, law number two is a robot must obey orders given to him by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. And then the third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second law. That's right. So throughout this book and throughout these stories, we get to see how um, giving a robot a certain order can uh, cause problems for these robots as they're mm -hmm. trying to work out um, their best response within those three laws. That's right. Yeah. Um, Isomoff, actually, he wrote, he set out when writing this book, he was trying to do away with the Frankenstein complex that existed with a lot of science fiction, with a lot of futurism writing. And that is the fact that any creation by man, uh, like by Dr. Frankenstein, would rise up and then kill the master eventually and then become the master. Um, so his way of tying in the three laws of robotics 
um, into these nine stories was to put them to kind of test the boundaries of them. And they seem very simple, but you can see throughout the stories how like this base code built into all these robots. And we should say that the first one is always the most uh, heavily weighted that um, human beings can't come into harm because of a robot. But it's interesting to read through these stories. You always, you're always in a situation where you think to yourself that, okay, wow, this is going to be the time where the three laws, you know, it doesn't work out. But then in the end, it does work out uh, for some reason or another. Um, so that's a good segue. Why don't we talk about these three laws then? Um, Ryan, do you think that the three laws of robotics really make robots safe for people based on this novel? Yeah, I mean, I would say based on this novel, it did for the most part. Um, I mean, we talked about this off air a little bit. I think it reminds me of uh, like the Nick Bostrom uh, paperclip analogy, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. where it's like you have like these three laws that make sense to like all rational humans, and then so when you're instilling these laws into the ro- robots, like we obviously have our own like innate values and we think they're going to work, but then I mean, robots are not rational humans, so they might have workarounds around that. That and I don't think there's that would be like any malice because obviously they're not emotional mm-hmm. uh, beings. But uh, well, I'm probably too far from the mic. <laughs> um, but yeah, you run into situations where these three laws like don't um, hold up uh, as you as like a normal human would. So again, to go back to like the paperclip, the paperclip thing. Like if you built like a super intelligent machine and you gave it the one goal of to um, make as many paperclips as possible. Mm-hmm. Okay, to us, like that seems like a pretty innocuous, pretty harmless thing. But again, like with a robot not having like the rationality and like the kind of innate values that humans have, it could do something like, okay, well, let's destroy all humans because they're just getting in the way of me making these paperclips yeah. and this is my number one goal in life. Mm-hmm. So I think it kind of just shed, like those three laws in and of itself kind of shed light into potential like future problems. Uh, that we could have with artificial intelligence. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's what's, uh, it's an aspect that makes these stories so interesting is because uh, the human error side of it with these three laws, like it's, uh, you know, we put the base code into these robots, but obviously we can't, we don't have the foresight to see all the situations, to see like the, uh, just the blind interpretation of these robots, how they're going to take the laws when presented with like uh, morality questions, you know, that we can't really put into their code. Right. And that's why I think it's also so impressive that this book was written in the 40s. Because I feel like these are still issues that people who talk about AI are like dealing with today, like these exact same issues that this guy is like alluding to in the 40s. Yeah, no, for sure. I think, uh, I mean, AI, like the, you know, there's been a lot of stuff in the media lately where people are concerned, prominent people in that field are concerned about the development of, H- of AI over the next 10, 15 years and how it's, uh, even, I think even Stephen Hawking said um, a couple years ago that it's the number one threat to humanity over the next 40 years. Yeah, um, for sure. <clears throat> and this book, you know, again, written in 19, or published in 1950, a lot of these stories written before that over 50 years ago um, seems more relevant than ever, which is, which is really crazy. What, uh, just Mr. Glad, what was your favorite story out of all these? My favorite story. Um, I really liked the, the story about the, the public figure, the mayor, who had never been seen eating nor drinking um, or sleeping, and people thought he was a robot. And then what's, what's the, guy, the actual human's name who's behind it? It's uh, I think Stephen Byerly. Yeah, Byerly. No, Byerly is the robot. Well, we don't, he's, it's never confirmed. Okay, Quinn is the Quinn accuser. Quinn is the accuser, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah, So I think it was interesting how if they couldn't, they couldn't prove it, um, they couldn't prove that he wasn't a human based mm-hmm. off the things he was doing. Like he, he ate in front of them, which is obviously robots shouldn't be able to do that. But if there's a way around it and, and they've made robots that are 
so human-like that maybe there's a, a one-time shot that he can take a bite of an apple and be all right, mm-hmm. then you can't really discount him as, as a robot. Um, well, I feel like that brings up actually something I was thinking about. How are these machines powered? Uh, I don't, you know, I mean, it's I not through they, like normal, like human metabolism, obviously like eating yeah, yeah. is like a common, that's a great question. Do. It's not the positronic brain. Um, well, yeah, I feel like the positronic brain, that's like their CPU. Right, right. Like that would need some sort of power source. True. But obviously I, I don't remember. I, I'm sure he mentions it at some point in the novel. I think early on, I remember him mentioning that. Really? But, uh, I don't remember seeing yeah, that. I don't remember I don't that either. Remember. So I was thinking about like the whole book. Cause it, it, yeah. maybe solar, but then they're on Especially all these other planets. Especially in space. Yeah. Solar. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we'd have to think, and I'm sure once AI is like that fully fleshed out, because I have heard a couple uh, roboticists talk about how that's like one of the biggest hurdles hurdles now to overcome is how are you going to sufficiently power these guys for a long period of time? And the other one, I think, is um, them being able to run diagnostics on themselves and fix themselves. Those are the two biggest yeah, hurdles machine to Machine learning is like the thing that's going crazy right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Listening to all these guys talk, like listening to Elon Musk podcasts that he joins on sometimes, um, I think are pretty terrifying listening to this, these uh, possible situations we're going to find ourselves in the next like 20 years. Absolutely. I yeah. just I just feel like robots are going to look at human beings and be like, this is the problem. Yeah. This is, yeah. This is Earth's problem. <laughs> right. And we're here to fix it. For sure. And that's kind of. Right, which well. is the premise of the movie. <laughs> yeah. And that's uh, arguably kind of like what he's hinting at in the book. I know he set out to, you know kind of do away with that Frankenstein notion, complex notion. But again, it's really hinted at in this book throughout all the the stories that that the robots are the superior being. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's like a, the next uh, phase of evolution almost. Is exactly, like exactly. And going back to tie it in what Justin was talking about, your favorite story with Stephen Byerly, oh, yeah. um, like the political implications of when robots can now govern us better than we can govern ourselves is very interesting. Well, I, like, I, was, I was thinking about that when you asked Ryan uh, the question about what are some implications or, or problems that could arise? I was thinking, what if robots, if the first law is in effect, they mm-hmm. technically they can't harm us, mm-hmm. but if they're not harming us and just maybe pushing us out or pushing us to a safe area where we still were fed, we're yada, 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 but it's not what we want to do, but it's for the sure. benefit of the, the planet, That's the then where is the... That is yeah, where is the... true. Something, a movie that uh, Mr. Allen has never seen. I still haven't Are seen it. But I've been yeah. sitting I in his locker. I gotta, I gotta take it home at least. Yeah. You guys gotta watch The Matrix. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. it still holds up. Yeah, and, and I'll take your Reeves. point too. Like, Dr. Kelvin even kind of alludes to that at the end when they're going, th- when she's talking to Stephen Burley... Is that how you say Burley? I think Byerly. Byerly. I'm guessing. Oh, yeah. What about all the issues that are going on with like, oh, the humans and the machine in each region? And mm. she's like, kind of at the end, she kind of comes to the conclusion, well, I think the machines know better than us and maybe they're letting the, hu- they know that the humans aren't going to listen. Yeah. So they're just giving like wrong answers, knowing the humans aren't going to listen to the answers and almost do the opposite. And that's actually what's better. And then he makes some comment like, well then, so have we lost our say in the future? Yeah. And she comes back with, uh, humans never really had any say. We were always at the mercy of economic and sociological forces that we did not understand. And then goes on to talk about like how, uh, but now the the robots or they the machines it. can take account for all yeah. these. They can things. understand that stuff, yeah. Which is tr- I feel like so true. Like we have no when we institute like huge new like social and government policies, we have no idea how the they're going to work. Of that, yeah. When we do tariffs, taxes, we have no idea how that's going to affect. It is kind of crazy. Yeah. We have no idea how anything we do is going to affect the economy. Yeah. I did think it was interesting. Yeah. Um, in one of the stories, um, they alluded to, or I guess it was um, the major point in the story, um, was them making a modification to Law One. Um, that's right. Yeah. Um, based off of government pressure because uh, 
they wanted robots that were capable of um, operating a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just opens up the floodgates for any type of modifications. And that's really what you would expect part. to see in our own world. It's like within for a sure. year of yeah. something coming out like this, sure, you would think the government would have their hand in. You know, or yeah. pressure from the government or something to change something for somebody's benefit. And mm-hmm. then all of a sudden, you know, then we have catastrophe on our hands or rebellious robots or something like that. Or like bodyguards or something who's protecting the president. They got to take out whoever's going to kill him, so they got to be able to get rid of that. Oh, to hurt a human or something like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. To protect them. I know that Sam Harris is one of his, like, biggest fears uh, with AI is, okay, like, the safe conservative route of, like, making sure that uh, this AI is, like, as safe as possible for humans, like, that's only going to slow it down the process. So it's the people who have really no regard for, like, safety and long-term outcomes are the ones that are going to develop it first. Yeah. It's like an arms race right now with uh, AI. Um, Because all these countries know, like, the first first company to unlock this and really um, be able to use this technology in a way that puts them above everybody else, they know that's, like, the key. Um, It's scary because... smartest people in the world are working on this right now Absolutely. and like people that are so smart that we can't comprehend are putting so many hours in and they're creating these technologies that can learn so yeah. fast yeah. yeah isn't it something like, and like then as google soon as that facebook happens. all these companies like own mm-hmm. uh, yeah. have recently they bought like ai startups yeah. yeah but then as soon as that happens you wait until you give the ai a month and the smartest people in the world already can't, can't yeah, comprehend the processing power yeah. it's like um, one, uh, I can't remember exactly what the example was I heard recently. I know um, you're talking about though, the, the term they use for it is the singularity oh, the yeah. incident. Yeah, yeah. So oh, the thought behind that is, this. uh, scientists agree it's going to happen sometime around the year 2040. And once that does happen is when a true AI is developed, then this AI is in turn going to have a, there's going to be a technological boom because it's going to create machines and technology and other AI that we can't comprehend, that we can't create at a very, very sped up rate. And so, in turn, humans are going to fall behind very quickly. Yeah, so it's that's like why there'll be hundreds of years of progress by these uh, machines within within days. days. Yeah, days, yeah which so is you think crazy. about like you connect one of these machines to the internet, and then it essentially has access Everything. to all of the knowledge in human history, mm-hmm. like that. True, which is an interesting part about the book: how um, the knowledge of all these robots is selective, you know, based on their task. So like, uh, which is really smart, which is really smart. You know, they don't have unlimited knowledge. They can't just tap into the web and know everything um, or, you know, see everything. It's just uh, based on their specialized function, which is, you know, an interesting point. So so what about this? So so we have the three laws of robotics, right? And through these nine stories, we can kind of see that there are, you know, they're tested in various ways. But for whatever reason... um, uh, the human side of it always prevails. The robots always fall, fall in line. But think about this interpretation. Think about the three laws of robotics as kind of a parallel to the Ten Commandments. So think about it as a term of ethics. Mm. So like, for example, for you know, people who are religious, God has given us this code, the Ten Commandments, for which to live by. But in the same way that we give, this, we give the robots this code to live by, but it's not exactly followed through by, you know, unanimously through individuals all over the place. Do you think that's something that relates to this, uh, to robots in the future in terms of like these uh, three laws of robotics? Is there a parallel there between the Ten Commandments and the three laws? I, I would say yes and no. I feel like I'm not a big computer guy, but code is code. But unless you get that, if you really do get that artificial intelligence, and and we can't possibly understand mm-hmm. like the thought process 
that's going through and, and the evolution of that, maybe the, the commandments change or maybe the laws change. Sure. Or maybe the interpretation yeah, of the, the laws interpretation. change. Which I think so is it's still the same yeah. code, but you saw it in one of the stories where he said, like, he was telling, they were on, they were trying to get the oil or the, there was gas in the. Oh, the, uh, the second <laughs> you know story. Yeah. Speedy. Where they give him, they They're give the robot Venus. a, yeah. okay. a, a command. Mercury. Yeah, and he Mercury, yeah. he tries to fulfill it, but he can't fulfill it. But it's just because a couple words were changed exactly. in, the, mm-hmm. in the way they delivered it, and that changes everything pretty well, much. Well, that's in the one... Uh, the story the, you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. where the robot... Um, uh, I lost my train of thought. No, it's okay. He tells him to... Uh, the guy to get the ro- lost. Yes, yeah. he tells him, go, yeah. go yeah. lose yourself. Exactly. Yeah, that's what it was. And so the guy, the robot, interprets that, you know, um, literally. But even though... going back to the mercury he did that unknowingly harming the human because he couldn't help the human he couldn't fulfill the first law because he was doing this other but he didn't understand that he was hurting the human because it wasn't directly hurting the human true but once it came down to it when the human was actually in mortal peril peril. exactly so once but then once it became you know an issue of life or death for i think for donovan and um uh what's the other guy's name Powell. Uh, Donovan and Powell, thank you. Then, you know, it, it kicked out of him and he came out of that drunk robot state, which was really yeah. interesting. Um, okay, well, what about Donovan and Powell? So these guys, outside of Dr. Calvin, we should... The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. The been thinking about McDonald's all day. Can't get it off my mind. I can already taste it. Ooh, got my mind on my mouth and my mouth ready for some Mickey D's deal. There's a deal for every moment at McDonald's. Right now, get two of your favorites for just $3.50. Mix and match a classic McChicken, a hot and spicy McChicken, or a juicy McDouble. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Single item at regular price. Talk about Calvin as well. These are kind of the three major characters in the novel. I think, you know, the robots are probably the uh, primary characters as well. But everything flows through Dr. Calvin. And then Donovan and Powell are kind of put in these situations. They're the field men that test all the new robot technology, and they're always given the, the hardest assignments, and they're always grunting about it. So how did you guys feel about them? I liked them. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, I thought their, their dynamic was kind of funny. Uh, you asked me the question, who, who on the team oh, yeah. kind of yeah, reminds let's, let's me do of that. who? Who, uh, who on the team reminds you of, of those characters? We'll do Donovan and Powell and then Dr. Calvin. Um, so you said Powell was the one because I, I keep I always mix, mix up, up Donovan and Powell. Yeah. Powell is more of the emotional. No, Donovan's the one that's always lashing out. He's the one with the fiery okay. red hair yeah, that's yeah. supposed to symbolize that he's you know angry okay. and emotional. I would say who's the one that had like all like the same catchphrases. Uh, I'm talking about where he'd be like jumping Jupiter or something like oh, that. Oh, yeah, he's kind of a little bit dorky. Um, that's that? Powell. Okay. So Powell, okay. yeah, he's the more he's the guy with the mustache. Yeah, he's always Dave stroking. He, that's Dave Horst. He's <laughs> 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 What a call. I don't know because yeah, Dave a has a temper. <clears throat> Does he? 
That's Dave is really, really smart. But well, well, that's, I also, that's what I kind of, that was, honestly yeah. wasn't a, dis, a, a dig at Dave. I, I, <laughs> well, kind of what you just alluded to, like, these guys seem more like, kind of goofy and funny, but, like, also, like, obviously, you know, they're really smart. They're and that's exactly smart. how I feel about Dave. It's like, Dave's a great, yeah. fun, great dude to be around. Is funny. True, but he but is you really also, smart. like, okay, you understand that was, Dave's a smart dude. I was going to say, Tony reminds me of Donovan. The the, okay. No, 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 no of Powell, uh, Powell. Oh, and then if I'm in the situation, if I was that smart, I'd be pal. I'd be the guy like, this is it. We, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> this, get, I give up after I couldn't figure it out the first two or three times, but I feel like Tony's the one thinking it through step by step. Don't worry, we got of, this, Jay. Donovan yeah, and I'm does. sitting here like, it's the end of the world. We got we to gotta go. <laughs> Donovan like, does have like a really pessimistic view yeah, of their situation always. Yeah. yeah, he's always really pissed off. Which I feel like if I bring you a problem that I have no solution to, you're, you're finding a way. With the solution. I'm walking <laughs> away with a solution. You know? Thanks, Jay. I'll yeah, do what so I can. Powell's more level-headed. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. Jordan, what do you think? Oh uh, man, I don't know if I. I would say you for Powell. Um, I don't know how many level-headed people I have in my life that I could allude to. Who on the team other than other than Tony? Tony. We could do staff as well. You know, I think. Uh, <laughs> I think hmm. this is not the, between the two of them, but Dr. Calvin, this just came, I think would be Albert, like very professional, mm. um, like very matter of fact. Yeah, yeah very yeah. matter of fact. Confident in his answers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Almost She's to the point. It's like it can be. I don't know. Just That's very a comparison. No, she that doesn't. A lot yeah. of the, one of the big character traits of Dr. Calvin, though, is everyone respects her. So I feel like that fits with Cal with uh, Albert. Mm -hmm. But I feel like no one really likes her. That's true, and everyone does like Albert. Yeah, that's so why Albert's I cut myself off. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, that's not Albert. Certain Albert. Aspect, I mean, yeah, I don't think anybody on the team really reflects Dr. Calvin because, yeah. uh, you know, none of us are robo-psychologists. Yeah. yeah. And uh, she's, I mean, she's, yeah, she's very cold, and she's uh, intelligent, capable, strong, very logical. So, yeah, I can definitely see a little bit of Albert yeah. in there. But in Albert's not as cold or anything no, like that. No, definitely not. With the personal relationships, obviously, you mm -hmm. know, he's an, an awesome dude. So that doesn't, there's no correlation there. When I was thinking about that, so um, a little bit of a throwback, I was trying to figure out who do Donovan and Powell remind me of on the team, and I landed on uh, Nat Borchers and Robbie Russell. Oh wow! And so I don't know how well you know those guys. I don't know Robbie as well, but I know I know, know Borch. I, you guys I know, only know Borch. Obviously, yeah. you know Borch and Ryan. These guys were before your time, mm -hmm. but I think that's like the perfect comparison for yeah. Donovan and Powell, especially having spent so much time with with Borch and Robbie. Yeah. Like, uh, Borch is always yelling at Robbie for whatever reason. And, always getting angry at him. and Robbie's like too smart for his own good, you know? And just like, I don't know. <laughs> I've heard he was crazy intelligent. He is. He got a 1500 on his SATs, which uh, that's the old score. I don't out know what 16. it is now, but out yeah. of 1600. Yeah. He's, and for those who don't know, uh, Mr. Robbie Russell will soon be Dr. Robbie Russell. Uh, he's got two years left, um, of his residency. And then he's going to be an ER. He's going to decide to focus on, uh, the emergency room. So, yeah, he is a very smart, very impressive dude. Um, and uh, one of my all-time favorite teammates, him and I had a really uh, special relationship. And Borch, uh, Borch as well. Um, a lot of great memories with Robbie just uh, sitting on my couch yelling at me to make him food and <laughs> <laughs> doing, doing stuff. But, yeah, th that's kind of the perfect pair. Um, okay, so we talked, about, we talked about Donovan, Powell, and Dr. Calvin. So who? let me ask you this. Who's your favorite character in this book, human or robot? Ryan, let's start with you. Uh, let's not start with me. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Glad, let's start with you. You uh, said your favorite story was the Stephen Byerly one. Yeah, I really, I think, uh, that's a tough question, Tone. That is a tough question, okay. Um, but I, I do I do like Byerly. I think what he did and 
the concept of kind of having robots in society that you just have no idea. I think that was super thought provoking. I don't know. Just kind of scary as well. Like you could talk to someone and they could be a robot and you'd have no idea for sure, but they have superior intelligence and superior physical traits. Mm -hmm. Um, Strength. Strength. Kind of reminds me of... Uh, me and Jordan. Cur- yes. I was going to say Westworld. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, very exactly. Right now. So how do you... How do you If something does go wrong, and, yeah, there's no way to... There's no way to distinguish. Yeah. And then and then it's... It, say there was a big war or something, or one side could literally be all robots, but you would think it's... Donald. If Donald Trump was a robot... We could have no idea, and he could be steering our country wherever he wants to steer it. That's very but true. Now we're getting into Terminator politics. territory. Yeah. yeah. So. Randy John Connor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you guys seen that movie? No. No? Nope. Yeah. I gave no. it a courtesy laugh, though, Tom. Yes. Thanks, <laughs> <laughs> Jordan. I appreciate that, buddy. Ryan, have you uh, seen that? I have not. T2? <laughs> oh I also did the same thing, though. I yeah. laugh. I definitely get that. I pre- I'm, God, I'm getting way too old. <laughs> <laughs> I come in with all the 80s references, and they, they get nothing. Nothing. Um, <clears throat> Okay, well, I think uh, in terms of favorite characters, tough. I love Dr. Calvin. I yeah. think um, just because she's the central figure of all this, and she's just always one step ahead of all these like really, really smart people involved in this uh, in U.S. robots, robotics, and she's just uh, she's so level-headed, and she handles the situation in such an interesting way. She has the relationship, the personal relationship with the robots, and she is the one who understands the importance of uh, what's put in as for as far as personality. Which is you know which is really interesting, but I think my favorite um, robot and favorite story was probably the first one was probably Robbie, and that one hmm. um, really hit home just because metaphorically you think about it you know this little girl is attached to her nurse made robot like you were saying Jay, and um, it's kind of uh, remin- it reminds me of kind of like current affairs right now so kids are addicted to you know you see a kid it's almost ubiquitous with them being on their phone or on an iPad or something like that, how they kind of have this addiction and dependency on technology. And that's kind of what this little girl had with Robbie or nursemaid, a different way. But again, just another example of this guy's foresight. You know, this book, that's, I think that story was written in 32. Yeah. You know, that's almost 100 years ago, and he has predicted that parallel, which absolutely blows my mind. Um, and, you know, it's something I think about a lot because my son's one years old, and, you know, yeah. he can recognize when people are on their phones already, and he's, you know, interested. And Teal and I are trying to, you know, keep phones out of his reach and never be on the phone. Uh, this is why I never text anybody back. Uh, never be on the phone, you know, when he's in the room. It's good to know uh, that's why, Tom. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> I was about to say that, too. I've texted you a couple times about RPE stuff. That <laughs> yeah, I don't text back until after 9 p.m. or, you know, 8.30 because that's when he goes to bed, and then that's when I catch up with the day. Uh, no, it's because like Jordan also never texts back. Yeah, but that's because I have, have that a dog rule. called uh, named Kemba, who Kemba. I also uh, – had to take care of and don't want him. And to, who you were uh, reading to last night, which is adorable, by the way. Yeah, I know. That's uh, <laughs> I, was, I was throwing that out there just for the girls to see <laughs> who would respond. Did you get some good responses? Uh, not as many as I would have hoped. No, not yeah. as many. Don't worry, Tone. I replied. I yeah. called him out. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Thanks, Jay. You know, I appreciate uh, that. You know what robot I actually liked a lot, though, was the one that could read minds. Um, yeah, so I thought it was. I yeah. really yeah. forgot about this. It story. was super I interesting. Dr. Kelvin would have fallen for that. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. Her and so like true, her yeah. like stringent objectivity and like. Well, she's human. That's yeah. you know. It's, yeah, it's the fallibility of humans. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's what's cool about, about this story. book is it's just about just as much about humans as it is about the robots. I agree. Mm-hmm. Like how they react to these situations, um, what they're afraid of mm-hmm. could happen. Um, Relationships. Yeah, it's a lot about humans and just how we act with uh, with ourselves, and then you throw in a robot and it 
changes things, but everything still kind of stays the same, mm-hmm. just in our um, basic natural habits. I would yeah, say. no, that, absolutely. That's kind of what's. In, oh my bad. Are you? Well, I was gonna say I feel like that's like a a perfect like uh, like analysis of like what actually could happen with robots in terms of like I feel like right now like humans' perspective on like AI is like I mean we're humans we created these things we're gonna be able to control them. But, like, that would be, like, a robot just so easily picking up on, like, humans, like... Um, on our emotions, just what we Yeah, being prefer. able to plan our emotions so easily. Just mm-hmm. humans being just, like, obviously innately, like, over-emotional Emotional, creatures. Yeah. And then, like, a robot being able to pick up on it like that and just be like, oh, yeah, I, so I, I got this. Yeah. He, uh, I can't remember what the robot's name was in that one. I think one. it was Herbie. I'm, was that Herbie? I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah, but right. Herbie caught up on that with uh, Dr. Calvin so quickly. So quickly. And he said, uh, he makes a really interesting point, he doesn't want any uh, hard numbers from humans. He only wants fiction because he oh, says yeah. he learns, he interprets more about you know human psyche and the way humans mm-hmm. act from fiction, from our fiction, than he does from from facts, which kind of, yeah, plays into that point exactly. Yeah. Um, who was, so who was your favorite uh, character, Right. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce her last name, but she was like the coordinator for the uh, European region. Oh, yeah, in the last story. The French okay. lady. Yes, yes, uh, yes. Madame... Give it a try. Give it a try. It's gonna be so bad. No, do it. Sigawaska. I think that's. I think <laughs> that's correct. Yeah. No, I think I that's correct. You saying that even though you know it's not. Uh, just because she was so stereotypically French. Yeah. <laughs> just like in terms of just like they're like interviewing her about the things that are going wrong. She's like, yeah. I mean, but I mean, we're like she's pretty much like, yeah, we're an old superpower. Like we have uh, we have our culture. We don't need the machines. Like we're fine yeah, being like, yeah, like sub not suboptimal, but like. Yeah, we're not maximizing productivity, but whatever. Like, we're fine yeah. with that, which I feel like is a very French, very thing. French thing to do. Just being so laid back about like, yeah, we could be doing more, but we're not. So, yes, yeah. yeah. no, I agree. It was funny how we played into that. Like, all the Europeans are like, yeah, we're an old power, you know, like <laughs> yeah. whatever. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. That w- that was pretty funny. Tone, I got a question. Sure, uh, might be taking over your role, but I got a question for the panel. Yeah, yeah. So, say um, at the end, we didn't know whether or not. Um, which one was the we didn't know who was a robot um, Stephen Byerly yeah mm-hmm. okay so um, if you didn't know um, a governor or a president was a robot um, but this person was making decisions that seemed logical to you mm-hmm. would you have a problem with that person happening to be a robot so that kind of that uh, that's basically the end of the novel um, because uh, dr. Calvin's talking to to director Byerly at that point. He's the yeah. world director, yeah, yeah, world yeah. coordinator, whatever that uh, term well, I is. I don't understand the hyphenation, coordinator. Coordina- yeah, I don't yeah. understand that either. <laughs> yeah. like, um, I thought it was like something like they explained earlier and I just messed up on it. I'm like, I'm not no, 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 me too. Yeah, I didn't get that either. <laughs> but she's, uh, you know, he's asking her um, that same question and she says it doesn't matter. The answer doesn't matter because these robots um, are the best judge of the direction for humans yeah you know they're the best ones to interpret what's going on and they know the best course of actions for us far beyond our abilities so in that case um i think it would have to be i mean like does I don't it know. sit with you weird that ethically it would yeah robot. ethically it's a weird question obviously because you know if we found that out right now everyone would be like what the heck we have that level of technology <laughs> what's going on but if they were yeah if they were doing a good job mm-hmm. i mean it is a, it is kind of a tipping point though, yeah. Because if you you know again, <laughs> if you have someone in like that in a position of power like that, mm-hmm. a machine, then um, you know where do you draw the line? Yeah. And can you draw the line? So it just depends. And it's again, it's uh, the cool thing about this book is all these situations are entirely plausible. Yeah. They seem with this tech, it seems entirely plausible. Yeah. I think once you get over like the emotion of letting 
like robots make decisions for you as opposed to humans like if you really take a step back and look at it objectively like dr kelvin would mm-hmm. it's way better so i mean yeah, i think a perfect example right like right now would be the self-driving cars sure like i feel like right now if you ask most people like are would you be fine with like all cars being self-driving versus humans i feel like most people would be like no i'd rather have humans driving but if you look at like all the statistics in terms of like the number of accidents per road hour with self-driving cars versus human cars it's human it's cars are, conversation yeah, yeah they're yeah. way way more dangerous to have humans driving yeah but like people just can't wrap their mind around that so yeah, do you think or my bad do you think if like it's kind of like the humans of society or the the humans who didn't like the robots in the last story yeah or the machines mm-hmm. yeah um society for humans yeah, yeah society for you. humans yeah um does the robot if it say society for humans gets gets what they want done and they're going to shut down these machines that mm-hmm. are helping with the decision making does the machine then, I guess, quote, think to itself, um, if, if the humans get rid of me, I'm no longer providing them with the best information, therefore they're going to inflict harm on themselves later or down For the sure. road? So do I preserve myself and then help them with that? Or do yeah. I just have to follow the first rule and then be I feel like it's what they're unplugged. kind of doing. Yeah, I think in the, in the last story, that yeah, they actually talk about that a little bit, um, how they say the second law is strengthened because the preservation of humans in the first law. Yeah. Um, so yeah, of course the machine's gonna, gonna look after itself because it's in the best interest of humans. And that, you know, that again uh, goes back to the argument, okay, well if self-driving, you know, if we have somebody, a robot in a political position who's making decisions, if we have self-driving cars, then all of a sudden where do we become the, uh, where do robots become the superior breed? When, where are they the masters and when are we the inferior breeds? It's, it's very interesting. And that's why, you know, this book is, is so relevant and so interesting and all. It's just really well written. So, um, so thank you guys for having that conversation with me. And thank you for starting this journey for the RSL book club. I hope you all enjoy the book. If you had to give it, let's not do ratings. I don't like ratings that much, but would you recommend this book? to someone else. I would for sure recommend this book to someone else. I might recommend it to Brooks later. (laughs) (laughs) Jay? Yeah, for sure. Uh, Especially someone, um, if somebody was disappointed with the movie, I would definitely recommend this book. Yeah, good point, man. It took, uh, it took those laws and made them a lot more interesting than they Mm -hmm. were in uh, the original film. So, yeah, no offense, Will Smith, but uh, the book is far superior and not related whatsoever. So if you have seen the movie and you're, you're not reading the book because, you you know, you saw the movie, please do yourself a favor and, and read the book. Ryan, what about you? Would you recommend this to someone else? Yeah, I already have recommended it to Jake. Uh, I liked it way more than I thought I was going to like it. Um, I think it, for me, it just came at like the perfect time just because I've been reading and listening to a lot of podcasts about AI. Uh, and I'm a big fan of Westworld. Mm-hmm. It's obviously all AI. So I feel like it's just so many things into one. And like I was telling you the other day, uh, I didn't realize that the book was written in the 50s. That's yeah, crazy. And, or the 40s or 50s, whatever it was, until like I was almost done with it. Uh, and I remember even thinking, like, I kind of just thought in my head it was like, this is written like the 80s or 90s. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, wow, for being like 20, 30 years ago, like, this guy is so accurately describing like the issues that we're running into. Like, that's amazing. And then I found out it was written in the 50s, <laughs> which makes it even more amazing. Yeah. And no, it's absolutely. really good writing. Very good writing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I agree. Because there's a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of, tech data in there you know that maybe goes above our head but it's all presented in a way that's you know it's it's cohesive to the story and all that so yeah okay one more thing uh we were giving brooks some grief earlier but good man brooks lennon he sent us a little 60 second review from the airport i really enjoyed this story um i thought in all the short stories um you kind of notice that the robots become more advanced and 
more independent um, and you know you know mankind's grip um, on the robots you know start to loosen a little bit which is cool you know um, I liked kind of later on in the story when the robots started to make a name for themselves and you know become officials and the government and stuff like that and you know the NS2 robot persuaded other robots to you know start thinking radically um, and stuff like that but yeah overall I, I really enjoyed the book you know it's normally not a book I would pick out but um, you know I enjoyed it and uh, yeah it was a it was a good easy read so I would give it about a uh, probably like a six out of ten for rating but yeah I enjoyed it so uh, thus ends the first book review the first meeting of the RSL book club Thank you so much, boys. Uh, the next book, of course, is going to be Ishmael by Daniel Quinn. If you haven't heard, this is a Matt Gash recommendation. And uh, after that, we're going to do a Kyle Beckerman recommendation. It's going to be The Black Count by Tom Reese. I'm really excited about that one because there's some relation. I'm not entirely clear to uh, Alexander Dumas, which is one of my favorite writers. And this one comes highly recommended from KB5. So that will be exciting as well. But uh, yeah, Ishmael by Daniel Quinn, the next one. Um, so... Just a little preview for our audience out there, uh, Mr. Glad. Let's give. Let's have you do a oh. sixty-second prediction. Oh, I forgot about this. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> about uh, what you think? You know, not having read the book, what do you think Ishmael is about? I'll give you two clues. Number one, it's a philosophical novel, and number two, Ishmael is a gorilla. So you got sixty seconds on the oh, clock. Tell me Tony, the plot of this book. Seconds too long, Tony. <laughs> so it's uh, not a biography the of plot Rocket of Ishmael. <laughs> plot of this book well clearly we have ishmael the gorilla yes um and clearly there's some philosophical things that need to get worked out throughout this book <laughs> uh i think it's just take a wild guess a wild a guess. wild guess all right pitch us a story about ishmael the gorilla ishmael the gorilla ah oh, dude this is tough bro. this is Jordan almost like when in. you're trying to add in random, random words to get to a word count yeah that's what i'm uh, doing. You're writing a paper trying to get yeah you're just trying to tick these seconds this away. is me stalling bro all right i'll take over this here we I, go yes no what, nothing what about a good guy <laughs> uh the main character is a gorilla named ishmael i would bet um it's a lot about uh the way gorillas think in relation to humans mm -hmm. and relate their relationship that they can form um and what um, what that means um, for humans as well as gorillas, if that makes sense. Okay, um, oh. that would be my that does my guess. That does. answer. That's a good. I was just about ahead there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems just based off what you guys said, it seems like it could be kind of examining the mythical thinking of. You that drives here? modern civilization <laughs> in relationship to the world. Yeah, I want you everybody to know this guy's had a computer. Yeah. 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 Says the guy with the laptop in front of him. I mean, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of a Socratic <laughs> dialogue. Uh, all right. Well, stay tuned until next time for the RSL Book Club to see who's right, Mr. Glad, Mr. Allen, or Mr. Cotter. Uh, thank you, everybody, for joining me. Um, next week, I think we're going to have on... Mr. Tyler Knight, who, uh, big congratulations to him, is getting married this weekend. And then, of course, uh, Dave Horse and my Star Wars review of Solo is coming very soon as well. So, everyone, thank you for listening, and I'll be right back. Enjoy! Thanks. The order breakfast at the McDonald's drive-thru. Tell yourself you'll wait to eat it at work, but it smells way too good. 
So you eat it right there in the McDonald's parking lot meal. There's a meal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, get any size iced coffee for 99 cents until 11 a.m. And pair it with your favorite breakfast sandwich or one of our tasty bakery treats. Price and participation may vary. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. McDonald's. I'm loving it.